catching you up on the latest stories that you should know from around the Sunshine State heading into this Tuesday morning, January 31st. I'm Sarah Sowers, and this is The Point from WUFT News. Due to immense land development in Florida, sacred remains and culturally significant items have been found and passed on to institutions like the University of Florida, who hosts the 11th largest collection of Native American remains in the country. Now, efforts from the Florida Museum of Natural History to inventory and return these belongings has begun again, for the first time since 2008. I spoke with WUFT's Report for America Corps member Katie Heisen about how UF is working with tribes to return their ancestors. So ProPublica recently released a database of Native American ancestors held by institutions across the U.S. And I noticed the University of Florida was 11th on that list. They hold thousands of ancestors. And I think it's easy when you see a number like that. The knee-jerk reaction is to wonder why... UF would do that? Why don't they just return it immediately? And um, I figured there was a deeper story there. So I set out to figure out why UF has such a large holding of ancestors and cultural belongings, and what are the obstacles to them returning them right away. So Katie, where did these sacred belongings come from? As federal agencies and other entities developed land, they would hand off what they found in the ground, which included buried people, um, sacred belongings that were buried with those ancestors, as well as other culturally important belongings. Those things would be handed off to the university for safe storage in the museum. And I think part of the problem and something UF is reckoning with now and working to undo is that a lot of the history behind museum collections was rooted in this colonial exploration, viewing these things as artifacts or curiosities. And they're coming to terms now that these are human beings with family members and that these belongings have huge significance to the tribes they come from. Um, and so that's really where this push to return these items comes from. After speaking with people involved in this repatriation process, what was something that you learned about these belongings and this whole process of returning the items to their rightful owners? I think the biggest thing that stuck with me is just the shift in perspective that it's easy for people of European descent to view these items in the museum through that European lens, but realizing that, you know, even the way we view animate versus inanimate is different to Native cultures. And to Tina Osceola was saying that for her, it's about taking care of their ancestors because those ancestors are still taking care of them today. And it's this reciprocal living relationship, especially the ancestors are people who never should have been dug up from where they were in the first place. And 
a lot of this effort is about rehumanizing these belongings and these people and taking away that clinical museum lens. They're, they aren't artifacts, they're people. And so the entire time that we're holding on to these ancestors and belongings is actively causing harm to these tribes. So is there a similar process happening on the national scale and in terms of other institutions also returning sacred objects? Under old federal guidelines, because it is required by federal law that these belongings and ancestors be returned to the appropriate tribes, under the old guidelines, the universities and other institutions could label belongings as quote-unquote culturally unidentifiable and then all they had to do was publish an inventory of everything they considered culturally unidentifiable and then it was up to the tribes to figure out what they had chase them down and prove ownership now uf is leading the way and it will soon be reflected in federal guidelines as well and working much more proactively with the tribes inviting them to view the collection, sitting down and speaking with them, they're not willing to settle for this label of culturally unidentifiable. The collections manager from the Seminole tribe of Florida said that that term was often used as kind of an excuse to avoid doing the harder work for belongings and ancestors that were harder to identify. So looking forward, what is the University of Florida's plan to return these items? And do we know just how long it might take? So the goal is to identify either their descendants or what are called um, custodians, tribal custodians of the area. So there are certain tribes that signed historical treaties that are able to um, care for anything that came from the area that they're considered custodians over. So the ideal in the long run is that all of the thousands of remaining ancestors and the cultural belongings will be returned to appropriate tribes and for the ancestors properly buried again. Right now they have this really daunting challenge where they're not just looking at the ancestors and belongings they've already set aside and identified, they're looking through every single box and tray in the museum's collections to make sure no ancestors were overlooked. Um, it's an extremely tedious process and the work of then properly identifying those ancestors and belongings is even longer. So I don't know that they have an end date in sight, but I do know that at least for the Seminole tribe of Florida, that this kind of cooperation is all that they're asking for from other institutions. They just want institutions to try and to pick up the phone and work with them. That was WUFT's Report for America core member Katie Heisen talking about the University of Florida's efforts to return sacred belongings to tribes across the state. To read her full story, please visit wuft.org. Now for today's top stories. Republican state lawmakers have filed legislation that would allow people to carry concealed weapons without a permit. WFSU reports House Bill 543 would allow anyone who may purchase a gun in the state, 
including people who live outside of Florida, to carry their weapon without a permit. If enacted, the measure would take effect on July 1st, but would not allow open carry. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will finalize critical habitats for bonneted bats threatened by development. WUSF reports the suggested lands are 250,000 acres less than previous plans announced in 2020. On the final day of public comment last week, more than 20 conservation societies asked the federal government for more protection. And back in north-central Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis pitched a $7 billion proposal to speed completion of 20 highway projects ahead of the budget approval. WCJB reports one of those projects would add auxiliary lanes on I-75 between Wildwood and Ocala. This project is part of his four-year Moving Florida Forward proposal and would draw funding from reserves. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit wuft.org to subscribe and visit our most recent issues. I'm Sarah Sowers, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Tuesday.